throughout this midweek Lenten series and season, we've been focusing on the theme, Road to Redemption. We've been considering Old Testament texts and see how those texts point forward to New Testament realities, how those things pointed to events that take place during Jesus' passion. Well, this evening is no different. We see a text that points forward to something that occurs during Jesus' passion on Monday, Thursday. As we see that that meal in the wilderness, that meal of the Old Covenant, point to the meal of the New Testament. Drink of it, all of you. This is the New Testament in my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the remission of sins. We're so used to hearing those words, aren't we? Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to hear those words again this very evening, aren't we? And we know very well how our pastor has drilled into us in confirmation class and again and again and again to remember what we receive. The true body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. But what about that part that Jesus said there? This is the New Testament in my blood. What does that mean? The New Testament in my blood? Now, when we think about the New Testament, we probably think about that half of the book that contains the, the newer information about Jesus. Maybe the Gospels and the Epistles and the Book of Acts and so forth that tell us the things of Jesus' life and beyond. But really, Jesus is referring to something much more when he says that this is the blood of the New Testament is shed for you and for many. Now, that term testament has often been used with another term, kind of as synonyms, and that term is covenant. In fact, there are many English translations that translate those words of Jesus using the word covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for you and for many for the remission of sins. Then covenant is a word that we maybe don't use so often in the Lutheran church. Perhaps in other de denominations, it's used uh, over in abundance. As they talk about making a covenant with God, or they talk about how a married couples makes a covenant with one another. But we don't use it that often in the Lutheran church. What is a covenant, though? A covenant is really an agreement between two parties. Each party makes their promise of what they are going to do. It could be something as simple as a business transaction, that someone promises to pay money for a certain service or a certain product. One pays money and the other provides the product. Or it could be something more elaborate, such as between two countries, a peace treaty established. One promises to not go to war against the other or help the other's enemies, and the other promises the same. What happens if either backs out on the agreement? Well, the covenant is null and void. We see that in a, covenant, a covenant is established on Mount Sinai in our text for today. It's established between the children of Israel and between God himself. And there are terms in the covenant what each party is supposed to do. The children of Israel are supposed to obey God's commands. Just a few chapters prior to this, we had heard the first reading of the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. God lays all of those out before them, what they must do, his rules, his commands to follow, and even more, ceremonial and civil laws as well. They promise, we're going to follow you. We're going to follow your commands. We're going to follow your word, Lord. And God makes his promise. 
Well, if you do that, then I will be your God, and I will watch over you, and I will bring you to a promised land. You see, there was two sides of that agreement, two sides to that covenant. And how was that covenant established? Well, in Old Testament times, we see the way in which covenants were often established. It was usually using animals. That animal would be killed and divided in half in two parts. It's kind of grotesque to think about. Those parts would be separated, and those that were establishing the covenant would walk between the two halves of the animal. And in that way, they were showing that they committed themselves to that covenant. And that if they went back on their word, they should be cut up like that animal. We see something similar in our text for today. We see animals used in the establishment of this covenant. Right before our text, there are two sacrifices that are made to God. There's a sacrifice of the burnt offering and another sacrifice called the fellowship sacrifice. That burnt offering sacrifice was made by killing the animal and draining the blood, and the blood, as we see, was placed in bowls. The entire carcass of the animal was burned up, consumed as an offering to God. This was thought to be a sacrifice that made atonement for sin and cleansed the people. That's why the blood was splashed on the people, so that they could be reassured that they were forgiven and they were right with God as they enter into this covenant. The second sacrifice was made was the fellowship offering or sacrifice. And that one was a bit different. The blood was also drained from the animal, placed in bowls, splashed on the altar, but not all of the meat was consumed. Some of it was burnt as an offering to God, but the rest of it was supposed to be eaten by the priests and also by the worshiper themselves. The author of the book, Sinai to Calvary, explains the benefit of this sacrifice. He says, God, the gracious host, actually fed worshipers with some of the meat that had been offered up to him. What an unusual blessing and privilege to hear God say, Be my guest, I want to be close to you. That was the purpose of that fellowship offering, to show that those people were in close communion and fellowship with God, as they themselves even partook of the very sacrifice that was offered up for them. We can think about the ways that A meal has quite a bit of meaning, not just between two people that are maybe dating each other, but even in our own households, too. We like to gather together as families at supper time. We like to gather together on special occasions with extended family as well, because it's a great opportunity for fellowship, to join together, to be in close communion with those individuals, to build relationships, to share stories, and much more. So, too, God invited the leaders of the children of Israel to come and to be in communion with him as he established this covenant with the people, this covenant that came through the shedding of blood. But that covenant failed, didn't it? The covenant failed not because God hadn't been faithful to his promises, not because God was unwilling to be their God or because he was unwilling to bring them to a promised land, but it was because the children of Israel didn't uphold their end of the bargain. They had promised, they had committed themselves that they would do everything that God had told them to do in his book, the book of the law. But they broke their word. They broke their promise. They failed 
when it comes to that covenant. And why? The reason ultimately is because of their sinful flesh. Now we can think about ourselves today. Even us as Christians, we desire to follow God's word. We desire to follow his law, his commandments. His law is good. We don't want to break his law. We want to to obey it because we love God. But we do. We break it time and time again. Even when we try so hard not to, we continue to break it in in thought, word, and deed. You see, this sort of covenant, this two-sided covenant could never be upheld because it would always be broken by sinful human beings. And it's for this reason that God would establish a new covenant. And we hear about that new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31. Yes, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant of mine, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. See, God described what happened to that old covenant. Man was unfaithful. Man broke his word. He broke the covenant made with God. But it goes on. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will forgive their guilt and I will remember their sin no more. How many I wills do we find in that statement? We see that this new covenant would be different. It wouldn't be a two-sided agreement between two parties, between the children of Israel and God, but it would be a one-sided agreement that God was making a promise to himself that he would be the God of this people, that he would give them his word, that he would place it on their hearts, that he would forgive their sins and not remember their guilt any longer. This is the sort of covenant. This is, in fact, the new covenant that Jesus speaks of as he institutes the Lord's Supper. A new and different covenant, a one-sided covenant based on God's grace. Now, it's interesting to think about how that old covenant was set in place. It was really set in place through the blood of the covenant, as it says in our text for today, right? Through the shedding of the blood of those animals, through those sacrifices made, those sacrifices that the people brought to God. What a good reminder that is for us, as the writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was through the shedding of blood they were made right with God and that covenant was established. That covenant, of course, was broken. But this new covenant would also be established by blood. In fact, greater blood. The writer of the Hebrews in chapter 10 goes on to say that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. What he's saying is that those sacrifices of animals and the shedding of their blood cannot actually take away sin. But there is a sacrifice that can, one that not man would provide, but God would provide, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Christ himself. That's exactly the way in which this new covenant is established, through the shedding of the blood of the Lamb of God 
for our sins. What a wonderful meal Jesus establishes on Monday, Thursday, as he points to that new covenant that's established through his blood that's shed for you and for me on the cross, the, the once and for all sacrifice, as he promises to those that come and eat there, this is my body, this is my blood for the forgiveness of sins. We think about what Luther often wrote, as he wrote in his small catechism, where there is the forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. It's a reminder to us that when our sins are taken away, we are in a right relationship with God, aren't we? We need not fear his wrath and punishment. With those sins gone, we know that we are right with God and have the certain hope of everlasting life. There's an interesting tradition among Norwegian Lutherans. Many years ago, it was very common in our Norwegian Lutheran churches to have a certain, certain architecture in the front of their church concerning their communion rail. We're probably used to seeing communion rails in, in a very straight line in the front of the sanctuary. But the way in which they constructed them in these old Norwegian Lutheran churches, especially as they came to, Mer came to America, was this. They would construct them in a semicircle that would go all the way around the altar. Now you might say that doesn't seem very practical. It seems much more practical for people to come up and kneel down at a straight altar and then and there and then disperse. But the reason in which they made this semicircle around the altar was to remind those that commune, those that worship there, what was going on that they are gathering around the throne of the Lamb, as they are receiving Christ, the very Lamb of God, who has sacrificed for them on their tongues. But in so doing, they are also joining together with the saints of heaven who do the same. The Apostle John describes it in this way, After these things I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing in front of the throne and of the Lamb clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands. They called out with a loud voice and said, Salvation comes from God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. See, the saints in heaven are also gathered around the Lamb in communion with him. What a good way for us to think about communion as we too tonight gather around the Lamb, the Lamb who was given for us and for our sins, as we commune with him and with all the saints here on earth and in heaven joining together around the one that has made payment, satisfaction for our sin. Earlier in the sermon, I mentioned that that word testament is used as a synonym for the word covenant. I think between the two, though, I like the word testament. It's for this reason. For us in English today, when we think of the word covenant, we probably often think about it as a two-sided agreement, right? but not so a testament. A testament is different. A testament is a one-sided agreement, isn't it? We often think about a testament in connection to a will, right? A last will and testament. And what does a person who write a will, writes a will, what does he do? Well, he writes down what he wants done with his possessions, everything that he owns, how he wants it dispersed, and he gets it notarized. He makes sure that it's legally binding. And how is that testament enacted? How do those beneficiaries get what he has promised to them? Well, it's only through his death, isn't it? Through the death of the one who makes the testimony 
that they receive their blessings, their benefit. It isn't based on what they have done, but it's based on what he has promised. But a great way that is then to think of the new covenant or new testament, that this is the one-sided agreement that God has established, that he has promised, and it's through his death that is it enacted, through his death on the cross, through his blood that was shed for you and for me, that all of the blessings that he promises come to us the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. As we see this evening, that meal up on the mountain, and also the meal that Jesus established with his disciples on that first Monday, Thursday, was much more than doing food. It was really a special meal of communion and fellowship. As they had fellowship with God, much more so, that fellowship expressed in Holy Communion as we come close together with one another, as we commune with each other, but especially as we commune with our God, knowing that we are in a right relationship with him, not because of what we have done or what we promise to do, but only because of what he has promised to do for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Through his death on the cross, we know that we have eternal life. So rejoice as you receive tonight the true body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore.